We're going to be in Exodus 34, and we're going to look at 8 through 17, continuing on. Before we go on, I'd like to just say a couple of things. I've never really been like an OT guy, Old Testament guy. But over, over the course of, you know, the last couple of years and things, I've really started to fall in love with the Old Testament in a way that maybe I've never experienced before. And, and reading through, the, especially the text that we're going to be in tonight, you know, I used to think that, you know, we're living in this time and it's just kind of weird and it's the way it is, but there's nothing, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And so as we read through, you know, the same stuff that takes place today took place, you know, some 2,000 years ago. You know, it's like, it's amazing how we see that. You know, sin is sin and uh, people break the commandments and they repent. And they get back on and go some more and they re- fall and it's kind of a, like a roller coaster ride it seems like sometimes. And there's also cost you know, that comes along with falling off the wagon, so to speak. There's a cost to be paid and, and even back then there was a heavy cost and even today there's a heavy cost when we, when we sin and go away from God. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to read the text, and then we're going to come back and kind of look at it a little bit. So Lord, as we come before you this evening, I do thank you, Lord, for the Old Testament. I thank you for all the scriptures, Lord. But I thank you for the love that's developing for uh, this Old Testament, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that tonight as we get into your word, you would speak through me, Lord, that the notes that I have would just be guidelines, Lord, that the things that would be said would be things that you once said. And I pray too, Lord, for all of us to have open ears, open heart, to be able to receive the things, Lord, that you would have through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this place, this time, this even this moment in time to come to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we give this night to you as we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll read through the text, and then we'll come back and see what we can do with it. So it's uh, Exodus 34, verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low, low towards the earth and worship. He said, I, If I now have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray. Let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Then God said, Behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all your people, and I will perform miracles which you have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations." And all the people among who you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Pezzarite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 12, watch yourself, that you make no covenant with the inhabitant of the land into which you are going, 
or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat of this sacrifice. Verse 16. And you might take some of his daughters for your sons and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play harlots with their gods. And verse 17, you shall make for yourself no molten god. The more and more that I read this throughout the week, just kept different thoughts and different things kept flooding my mind about how relevant this is. Written so long ago, it's so relevant for this day. This day. And so I want to back up just for a minute to verse 4. And we're going to kind of work our way back because verse 8 says, Moses made haste. Well, why did Moses make haste? So we're going to back up. You remember Moses has come down the hill. He had the Ten Commandments. God wrote them out with his finger on stone tablets. He come down the hill and what are they doing? They're worshiping this golden calf. And he gets irate. And he throws down and he breaks all the Ten Commandments with one throw. There's consequences for that. 3,000 men died that day. 3,000 men. Now, when you start breaking covenants, you, you are breaking promises. When you start breaking commandments, you are making, you are, you are voiding out the covenant or the contract, which is what a covenant is. Covenant is a contract, so to speak. And so he tells Moses, so he cut down two stones like the former ones. Verse 4, Moses rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two stones in his hand. Verse 5. And the Lord descended. Picture this, if you will. Try to, try to roll this around in your mind, in your imagination, in your, in your wildest dreams. He, has, he makes these two stones. He, he went up to Mount Sinai and the, as the Lord had commanded he took the two stones in his head and the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called out the name of the Lord. That's mind-blowing to me. The Lord descended in a cloud and was right there with Moses. And he called upon the name in verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and he proclaimed or he said the Lord the Lord God compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands and who gives iniquity transgression and sin yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished yet he will 
or visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Just a couple of thoughts here that I had in my mind. We know that God made the first one, right? He had the two stones, wrote with his finger. And it's interesting that he had Moses. He could have just made him again. Wouldn't have probably been a problem at all, right, for God to make uh, the, write out the Ten Commandments again. But it's interesting because Moses made, broke the covenant. He had Moses write them out. Moses had to get the stone, and I'm not sure, you know, what kind of tools they had or whatever to write this out of what exactly that looked like, but he had Moses do it. You might say that was part of the reinstatement of the covenant or the, the, re, um, the reorganizing or the coming together, back together with the covenant. Something about writing them down. When Moses went down, he just threw them down. There's, there's kind of an interesting concept when you write something down. For me, I don't know how it is for you, but I do better when I write stuff down. I can read something and read something, and five minutes later you ask me a question and I, I forget. But if I take that same paragraph or the same paragraph and I write it out like I've done here, I can remember it. It's amazing how that works. I know, uh, just a little side story, back in school, uh, I really wanted to be a CPA, believe it or not, at one time. But I used to do a lot of air math. Anybody know what air math is? One. That's when you go like this. 24 times 2 is 48. And I can see that. I can visually see that. And I'm actually doing it. It's amazing how that works. But it's just something about writing it down. And he had Moses write it down instead of him doing it. I find that just really interesting for whatever that's worth, right? And then God is speaking to him. The Lord, the Lord God. And he gives these seven attributes that Pastor Michael went through last week. And those seven attributes of our Lord are incredible for us as it was for Moses and the Israelites in those days. They are for us today as well. Loving kindness, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. Hallelujah, right? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving kindness, truth. For loving kindness, thousands, forgiveness, Forgiveness of our sins. Because I think here, one particular point in time here, we're going to get to it in a minute, but Moses is going to be counting on these verses 6 and 7 because he's going to want to have the Israelites pardoned or forgiven. So we look at verse 8, it says, Moses made haste after he heard God speak. It's almost like, I don't want to read stuff into it, right? But it's like, Moses made haste. That's immediately, all of a sudden, Moses, Moses bowed. He got down on his knees and paid respect or honor. And that's why I titled it Humility, Honor, and Respect. Moses showed that in that very moment. I don't know exactly how that worked out. I don't know why he did it in that very moment. But in my mind, when I think that God is speaking to me, I need to bow down. I need to give him honor and respect. 
And I think so many times that we forget that, just to be honest with you, right? Sometimes we, he, he is always pouring his gracious mercy and long-suffering out on us, and we, and we sometimes just gloss it over, and we kind of maybe even take it for granted. So there's like three points I wanted to bring out just in this one verse, and I'll make them really quick. Moses, number one, natural and immediate response of being in the president, president, presence of the Lord was immediate. Make haste, it says. Was to worship him. Was to bow down to the ground and worship him. In Matthew 6, you'll remember, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He put adoration before, or he put adoration ahead of supplication. He knew as he showed God his priorities. Moses' worship was before the appeal. He's going to appeal to God to forgive. That's why when I said he's counting on verses 6 and 7 when he talks about the attributes of God. And then we see that worship is an act that exalts the one being worshipped but seeks to draw no favorable attention to the worshiper. Moses bowed to the ground. Moses, following the standard way of the culture, it's indicating unworthiness and submission. Any worship that draws attention to self, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is flawed. That's why even when we worship, when we sing songs of praise, it's adoration and love for him. It's not about us being up here. It's not about how well we sing or how good a guitarist or how good of a drummer or any of that. Those play into the overall part of worshiping God. The main reason we worship God is to exalt him, to lift him up, to adore him, to play him his due. God is the only one worthy of worship. Psalm 145.1, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And so when I think of these things, I have to look at myself. And I think we each have to look at ourselves. When we are worshiping, when we're worshiping different things, when we're looking at different things, what is the mindset? What is the motive? When you walk in here with the sanctuary and you sit down to worship the Lord, there's a, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just think that people raise their hands and do all this so that people can see how holy they are. And I don't want to be judgmental because I think that we should raise our hands and sing songs of praise and be holy that way. And it's really the intent of our heart. That's why I said that we have to examine ourselves and see how we fare because only you and the Lord or me and the Lord knows why I'm praising him the way that I am. So in verse 9, he says, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go in the midst, even through the people, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Moses was the mediator between God and Israel. Look at he says, if I, if I have found favor. 
if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Then go with them in the mist. Travel with them, Lord. Be their front guard. Be their back guard. Go with them, Lord. Moses was the mediator. Moses was the leader of the Israelites. And he had a responsibility, and I think that he took it seriously. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been so infuriated, infuriated when he came down off the mountain and broke those commandments because of what they were doing. Moses asked the Lord again, if now I, now I have found favor in your sight. Moses was counting again on the attributes listed in 6 and 7, especially the willingness to forgive. Moses continues to pray for God to absolve the Israelites of all the danger of punishment. In other words, each time so far since the incident of the golden bull, God has responded favorably to Moses' intercession on behalf of Israel. They screwed up. We screw up. And we need God's willingness to forgive us just like they did back then. We need that now. That's why when I said there's so much that goes with this then and now, how they just kind of run parallel. How many times we go up on the mountain or we, we get this emotion, this big spiritual high, we, we get this you know, overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit that, you know, we're just really pumped up on a Sunday. And then we go out into the real world and the next thing you know, we're breaking commandments right and left. This is not nothing new. But because God has this willingness to forgive, we have the hope. So we ask God, <clears throat> for two guarantees, actually, of grace. One is that he would go in with Israel, that he would be in the very midst of them. When he says, let, let the Lord go with us. Be with us, Lord. Don't leave us. And two, that he would forgive the people's sin so they would no longer be under the danger of judgment and the covenant rejection. Forgiveness forgive our wickedness and our sin. Does that not parallel our lives? Does that not ring a bell even in our own heart? Moses asked for a complete acceptance of the nation. Take us as your inheritance. Moses could make this request in spite of the fact that he acknowledged Israel as a stiff-necked people. How or why? Because of God's forgiving nature, which can dismiss the guilt of even the most rebellious sinners. Remember, Paul said, I am the chief of centers, sinners, centers. Are you seeing the parallel? I hope. I hope I'm presenting this well, Lord. 
Because this is a beautiful story of redemption. This is a beautiful story of how God pours out his grace and his mercy. How much he loved Israel. How much he loves us. How much he doesn't want any to perish. How many chances does it take? How many chances do we need? In verse 10, and here it is, verse 10, God says, then God said, here we go, I just love this. God is speaking again. Have you ever had God speak to you? I know it sounds kind of, you know, kind of odd. I, I did one time, I remember just as clear as day, he was speaking to me just like I was speaking to you. Just one sentence, and it was, it was so ever life-changing. Hasn't happened again. Don't know that it will. But it was at an absolute moment in time when I needed to hear his voice. And he spoke. In this verse, verse 10, he says, Behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all the people. I will perform miracles which I have not not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations and all the people among whom you live will see the workings of the Lord. For it is a fearing thing that I am going to perform. There's a renewal of the covenant. Moses broke the covenant and it needed to be reinstated or renewed The people had broke it. Moses had broken the, the tablets. He needed forgiveness of their sins. Remember he said he wanted them to go along with him and introduce them into the land of Canaan and drive out the inhabitants. They wanted them to avoid idolatry, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Some of the things that they talked about, such have never been done before in all the earth. Their passage through the wilderness, the entrance into Canaan's land, and the conquest of that such as the earth opening its mouth and swallowing alive Korah. The smiting of the rock at Kadesh from whence flowed waters abundantly. The healing of such as a bit by fiery serpents through looking at a serpent of brass, Balaam's donkey speaking and reproving the madness of the prophet. The divisions of the waters of the Jordan, the fall of the walls of Jericho at the sound of the ram's horn, the sun and the moon standing still until the Lord had avenged himself with his enemies. Things that they had never seen before, God was doing. God was going to show them. In verse 11, it says, Be sure to observe. There's a command or a statement here. Be sure to watch. Be sure to see this. Don't miss out of what I am commanding you this day. 
Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. I'm going to drive them out. These were groups that were occupying the promised land, and and he was going to drive them out. They were worshiping all sorts of false idols, all sorts of wooden images and carved images and all kinds of goddesses and sun goddesses and just all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. So be sure to observe here. It's an order. It's a command. What I'm commanding you. I'm going to drive these people out. I'm going to remove the obstacles for you. I'm going to wipe them out. And when I think about that, I think about the own obstacles in our own lives. God, in a sense, has given us a promised land, the hope of heaven. And we have these obstacles that seem to be going, coming one right after another. And you'll find that God keeps removing those obstacles if you keep persevering forward. If you keep moving, he will keep moving those obstacles out of your way. Because you have a covenant. A covenant is a contract between two. So he's going to drive them out. When God sets a plan in motion, he follows through. The question is, do we? When God gives us a plan, do we move forward in God's plan or we divert from it? There's going to be some things coming up in these scriptures here shortly that it wouldn't be hard. And it has not been hard for some of us to divert from our first love. In verse 12, again, it says, watch, look, observe, digest, take in, chew on yourself that you make no covenant or a contract, right? Or an agreement with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going. That's those that we have just talked about, those Amorites and Jebusites and all the idiots and all that stuff. or it will become a snare in your midst. He's warning us. He's telling us that there are things ahead. In our life today, there are things outside these walls when we leave here tonight that are going to be or could be a distraction that could take us away from our first love and turn and break a covenant. I find it interesting that in the scriptures they talk a lot about intimacy or sexual things or goddesses of sex and things like that because it seems to be that that is the number one, my, my guess, I don't, I don't really know, reason why we get drawn away from God or we break a covenant with God because of our own lusts and our own desires It's not hard to get drawn away if we don't have a solid foundation, if we don't have a firm foundation, if we don't have our eyes focused on Christ.
The land of milk and honey had been promised. A covenant had been made. And those there were not going to give it up easily. They're going to try to get you to buy in to their dysfunction. They're going to try to get you to buy into their lies, much like the world today. When you come down off the mountain or the emotional high, there's the reality of life outside those doors. It's real easy to be safe in here. But when you walk out the door, all proverbial Sheol breaks loose. It doesn't take much to turn our eyes. It doesn't take much to spin our brain. It doesn't take a whole lot to turn us from God. We are selfish. The scriptures tell us our heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? God changes our hearts and it makes it new. I got news for you, man. Sin is like right there. Sin is just the next layer of skin down, man. And it don't take much to break it open. It wasn't any different for those people either. God's warning them. Hey, you're going to go into this land. You're going to go into this land, man, and it's going to be land of milk and honey, but there's going to be some other stuff with it too. These goddesses made of wooden pole on wooden poles and all kinds of sexual perversions and things like that. And hey, don't buy into it. Don't buy into the things of the world. That's what we would say now. I call them spinning pinwheels. I've said this before from here, but go down the 10 freeway towards San Bernardino. There's billboards from one end to the other talking about gentlemen's clubs and different things like that. And I tell you, the spinning, the brightest light gets my attention. Praise God I don't act on them anymore. But it's that close, man. It's that close. It's that close for all of us. None of us are exempt. And so we need to stand strong. And God's warning them. And he's warning us today, stand strong. Verse 13 says, but rather, rather than to buy into the lies, rather than to get into their dysfunction, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. That's a wooden goddess cult symbol. Cut those things down. Destroy those things. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no, no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. And verse 14, it says, you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. These two commandments to destroy everything connected with idolatry and to worship no other God but Yahweh ring so true today. If, you have, if you're taking notes, go back to Exodus 23, 
20 to 33. And you can read that. This is the first mention of the Asherah poles. Refers to any sort of a carved wooden structure that is used as a divine symbol of some sort in pagan religion. In that day, rather than being limited to the Asherah poles, that is, it was a pole-based carved representation of the goddess Asherah. The sort of Canaanite weather god, Baal, and the fertility benefactress according to the local Canaanite thinking. There's a lot of strange stuff going on. And we think today that there's a lot of strange stuff going on. My friends, I don't think that it's much different than it was in their days. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think about all the different things that were taking place around the temples and things like that. He's a jealous God. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. When we think of jealous, we think of the green-eyed monster. Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, you're cheating on me. The jealousy that he's talking about is a fierce, protective one. We are his children. We are his bride. He is the groom, and he's protective of his bride with a fierceness. God always has our best for us. The distractions of the world are very prominent and very alluring. Doesn't take much to turn ahead. Just one little twinkle. He knows all about you and me. And he's our protector. When he talks about being jealous... He's our protector. He wants what's best for us. And so sometimes we get chastised when we get out of line. But he's a jealous God. If you have children, you protect them from the dangers of this world. The husband protects the wives. I don't have any children, but from what I understand that mothers become uh, bears if something happens to their children. They turn into like grizzly bears or something. But that's being protective. That's because you love them. And he's protective because he loves us. Verse 15 says, Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. That's buying in. See, you already have a covenant. We already have a covenant with the Lord. And to get into a covenant with them, you would have to break the covenant of the Lord. And I have to say this. Are you willing to pay the price? 
When Moses broke on 3,000 men lost their life. Not to say that somebody would die, but how about if somebody gets hurt spiritually? And they would play the harlot with the gods and sacrifice to their gods. And someone might invite you to eat of this sacrifice. Oh, just come on over. Welcome, neighbor. Come on over. Look what I got for you. Isn't that pretty? Doesn't that look delicious? It's not hard to break a covenant when you got somebody something so alluring. It's choices that we have to make all the time. My wife likes to say sometimes the M and M moment by moment. Choices that we have to make. Some things just look very good. Some things just smell very good. I'm lactose intolerant and I love ice cream. But if I eat ice cream, it can kill me. See? Just because it looks good, just because it smells good, just because it tastes good, doesn't always mean it's good. There's one thing that's good all the time, though. One thing that never changes, and that's our Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the one that forgives not to bring it back. Throws it into the deepest parts of the sea, the, the far, as, far as the east is from the west to forgive. That's because he loves us so much. Some people choose to follow the right path and others choose to follow or imitate what others do. It's so easy to imitate, isn't it? Responding to invitations, formal or informal, to join others around them in whatever religious practices deem dominant. And I'm going to throw this out there. Gay marriages, parties where drugs and alcohol are served. Those are things we need to stay away from. And you might say, why would I stay away from a gay marriage? And the answer is really simple. If you go, you're co-signing the behavior. When a group of people stands behind, they are, they are saying, I'm in agreement. But there's one other reason, even stronger than that one, is that it's against God. So I'll leave that one there. But we do make choices. Verse 16. And you might take some of the daughters and sons and for your sons and the daughters might play the harlot. Well, a harlot is a prostitute or a promiscuous woman with their gods and cause their sons also to play the harlot with their gods. 
There was a lot of intermarrying going on. And I know we've talked about that here in different service, talking about marriage, talking about being unequally yoked. How can two walk together unless they agree? When somebody wants to marry somebody outside of our faith, it causes problems, it causes separations. Because the values, the baseline is not the same. The core belief system is not the same. So there's a danger in even mixing of religions. Over time, young men and women would meet each other and ask for their parents to arrange their marriages, as, in, as Samson in Judges 14, 1 through 10. You know how that turned out. So it would almost be inevitable that as an international marriage would take place, marriages would bring idolatry into Israel. If you're taking notes, check out Solomon in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6. Because marriages in Bible times as today were rarely blocked and often not even much discouraged for reasons of religious incompatibility. You have to really think about these things, right? How are you going to raise your kids? How many kids? Just a whole slew of different things. But Yahweh insisted otherwise, knowing the inclinations of his people and the power of romantic attraction to overcome inadequate religious convictions. That's why he set this stuff up. He set this stuff up so that we could live in peace and harmony. When we make these covenants with the Lord, we ought not break them. In verse 17, it says, you shall not make for yourself no molden gods. Well, if you just look at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Anything, anything. God is first. God is first and foremost in our life. He has to be. The gold, golden young bull that Aaron made in chapter 32 was the first instance of a cast idol. And it only got worse from there. There are all sorts of idols. We even see all sorts of idols today. Anything that you put before God is an idol. And it's very clear that we are not to worship those things. So there's a couple of questions. And I have to examine myself. This is, this is not, you know, you take it, it's for all of us. When you point fingers, there's fingers pointing back at you. I have to examine myself. Is there anything that I'm worshiping that I'm putting before God? Is there anything that takes a priority of God? Now I'll throw this out there too because sometimes we put TV before God. 
there's this rash thing going on since people have been live streaming. And some people actually need to live stream. Hello, live streamers. Uh, this is not a dig at you. It's just something I think it needs to be said for whatever that's worth. Is that people have become dependent and making God their, their TV, their idol, dismissing the fact that I can watch so I don't have to show up to church. Now, some people, of course, need that. And that's God bless them. But just in the last couple of days, I had two different people tell me, I just haven't come to church because I have been lazy. <laughs> lazy. Honesty. Absolute honest. But see, being lazy is not an excuse for not putting God first. I'm too tired. I've worked all day. I'll go one further, and I'll probably get some flack for this one, but I'm kind of used to that too. Is that sometimes we put baseball and football and tennis and hockey and golf and whatever sport you want to put in it, we put that before God, and that becomes an idol. And I'm not saying kids shouldn't play baseball and all that stuff. But I, when I grew up, we didn't play on Sundays. That was many moons ago. <laughs> but we, the, our, our little leagues didn't play on Sunday. It was, a, it was an off day. And that, that you have to work out for yourself. But I would caution you on this. Don't let it become an idol. Don't let that take the place of God. Because you're going to end up in trouble spiritually, emotionally. Shane, are you back there? So I'm going to land the plane with just something I had said earlier. And we've talked about different idols, different kinds of idols, even baseball, golf, those kinds of things. I would just ask you to reevaluate. Not for my sake, but for your sake and for your sake of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. That should be priority one above everything else. And if you're not, then you may have to just suffer the consequences. And I know you don't want to do that, right? We love the Lord. That's why you guys are here on a Wednesday night. Come on. You love the Lord. That's why you're here. But there's another fact. None of us are perfect either. We all have our character flaws that we're working on and we're trying to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and loving the Lord and doing all the right things. But just like them, you know, God is warning them. And I think God is warning us as we coming into this season of life. This time when things just seem to be, you know, evil is good and good is evil. And 
all that stuff. <laughs> I'm stalling as long as I can. Nathan, is he there? Okay. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Would you stand with me? Oh, here he is. <laughs> anyway, I love you guys. And I just pray that you would examine your hearts to make sure where you're at. If you have any idols, lay them at the, lay them at the cross tonight. We'll be up here for prayer. Shane's going to give us a closing song. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for being online. Thank you for being in the sanctuary.